What is up, everyone? You have Jonathan back again. This week's episode of the Dad Corp podcast, episode seven. I sat down with Mike Griffith, founder of Gold in Flight Foundation. Him and his wife, Leon, of over 30 years, have created a foundation dedicated to serving families in need to, due to hardships caused by pediatric cancer. One of the worst nightmares any parent can live through is hearing a doctor diagnose their child with cancer. From that moment, their lives are turned upside down. They have to be there on the sidelines, supporting their child through the fight of their life. It's a fight that nobody should have to endure rather than ever seeing a child have to go through it. For parents, it's emotionally taxing, it's physically taxing, and unfortunately, it's also financially taxing. You may not be able to be at your job. You may not be able to focus as much. You want to be there focused on your child and helping them go through this incredibly challenging emotional and physical fight that they have to give and see them and support them through their recovery. There's over 40 children per day that are diagnosed with cancer. It's still the number one disease killer for children worldwide. Unfortunately, 95% of the survivors have some type of major issue by the time they're in their 40s. And so it's an ugly, ugly disease. And people like Mike Griffith are out there in the trenches finding a way for families to be able to singularly focus on helping their kids beat this battle. 97% of the Golden Fights donations go to helping their mission. Only 3% are towards administration fees. That is incredible when you look at the statistics of other foundations. That is a voluntary army that has the best of intentions. And you can tell in a discussion where Mike and I laughed, we talked, we cried. It was just a fantastic discussion. Mike is a man of faith, man of integrity, and just a good person. He gets in the trenches, he gets to know the families, he gets to know the kids, and he works with them side by side to see them through their battle. I love the foundation. Dustin and I were so personally moved by the foundation that we have made a decision to partner with Golden Fight and provide proceeds from the sales of our dad life collections to the Golden Fight and their cause. Personally, I've been a donator of the Golden Fight to the Golden Fight and I have just been incredibly moved. This was a discussion that will probably have an impact on me for the rest of my life. I know that I have an incredible amount of appreciation for what Mike has done, what his organization is doing, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. I hope you support the Golden Fight Foundation. It is a cause worth getting behind. I love them. I love what they're doing, and I am incredibly happy to be part of helping them in their cause. So stay tuned. It was a great discussion. Without further ado, you're going to get to hear Mike Griffith discuss Golden Fight. Mikkel, I have you out there. Hey, what's going on? Hey, man. How are you? Oh, it's been a long day. I've been behind this computer in meetings since 7 o'clock this morning. Oh, man. <laughs> day job stuff or foundation? Uh, my regular, my day job. <laughs> How's that going? Is it busy with the COVID stuff? Oh, yeah, it's really, really busy. So it's starting to slow down a little bit. I, so that's a good thing. 
Hey, you know what? I never asked you, do you go by Mikel or Mike? Because I just was listening to some videos and I heard a lady call you Mike. Yeah, most of the time I go by Mike, but I, I, either or is fine with me. Yeah, what, do I you know. have a preference? Uh, I don't have a preference. Whatever you think. Mike is fine. It's probably easier. Or Mikel, I don't know. Mike, easy. Mikel's kind yeah. of an interesting name for a U.S. name, right? Yeah, well, I was actually, well, my father was Air Force. I was actually born in a German hospital. And my name from what I told is comes from a Russian background because my grandmother was Russian. My name was, you know, uh, the, I guess Mikhail. I, I don't know. That's interesting. What, what but it was very difficult in school to go by Mikhail, so I always went just by Mike. <laughs> but now that I'm older, I kind of like Mikhail too, so either way. So did you grow up in the U.S. or did you have to spend some time overseas as well? I came to the U.S., I think they said when I was three years old. I don't remember it. So yeah, most of my my whole life was in the U.S., but I was born in a German hospital, so my birth certificate is German. My father, my mom was German, and my father was obviously, like I said, he was the Air Force. So they said yeah, my first my my first language was German. And when I came over, they said the first words I learned in English in, in English was "Wait a minute," because all the other kids would run after the ice cream truck and "Wait a minute," so I would learn "Wait a minute." <laughs> that is hilarious. It's a story my mom always told us. Ice cream trucks. Do they still have those things around? We get them around here a little bit in the summertime. They don't come in the little circles, but they go around the big circle. I used to like the snowball truck. I miss the snowballs. Yeah. You know, I grew up in an area where there was an ice cream truck to come around, and that was the highlight of our day. It was the best, right? It really was. Um, they come around. We have a, a pool for the community here, and they come around in the summertime for the pool and stuff. And the kids run out and go get their ice cream. So it's nice. Brings back a lot of memories. Some some old traditions, you know, are good to see. I wonder what made them not be as prolific because it, it is something. I mean, the, it was awesome as a kid. So I don't. I wonder why they're not as common as they were whenever they were, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty mm-hmm. years ago. That's an interesting thing. I'd like to know myself. I'd like to. You know, maybe look at that a little bit. That's kind of neat. I like finding out things like that. I don't know if it was yeah, you, know, you can still buy them. They're they're yeah. out there. There's a website here, usedvending.com, and you can get yourself. There's actually a whole thing, ice cream trucks. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah. So if we ever want to start a new business, you just start driving around. You got to get some good music, though. That was the best part, right? Like you'd hear that thing from a mile away. Yeah, that's right. The best news. <laughs> yeah, you knew it was coming. <laughs> Yeah, and then some, some of them had the bell. Yeah, well, what was your go-to? Did you have a specific type that you would, of ice cream? Oh, well, mine make? was always the snowball truck with a chocolate snowball with marshmallow topping. <laughs> Sugar rush mania, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Maybe that's why they're not around anymore. None of the parents will let their kids eat that stuff. Maybe, I don't know. So, yeah. Maybe need Maybe now, a lot of we have a lot, a lot of snowball stands here. Is that a popular Baltimore thing? That is a very popular Baltimore thing. Matter of fact, down the street from me, there's probably about six snowball stands. Right in you know less than a five mile radius. No kidding. Yeah. You know, I I spent about a decade in the Washington D.C. area, and I never knew that snowballs was a Baltimore thing. I've been there a lot of time. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've it's always been since I was a kid, snowballs. You got to get your snowball. 
Any reason from Baltimore? Is it just something that like was there a company in other states? And what they call snowballs isn't the same. You know, their snowballs are like hard snow cones. Our snowballs is a very fine chopped ice that you eat with a little spoon, and you don't have to break it up. You know. Yeah, this is a real thing. I'm just Googling as you're telling me, and there are websites dedicated to snowball stands for Baltimore. One of them, oh, Baltimore Sun came out with, here are 10 Baltimore area snowball stands worth your time. So I'm Yeah, just... and they are rated too. You got the better ones that are around here. Yes, yes. And they're run by teenagers most of the time. That, what makes a good snowball? What's the difference between a good snowball and a bad the, snowball? The, the difference what makes a good snowball is the way the ice is shaved. Mm. Yeah, and and of course the flavorings are good. You know, my favorite is the old fashioned egg custard, and you got to put that little bit of marshmallow on on the middle of it. It's really good. So yeah, yeah. There's actually a whole website here. I just found a history of the Baltimore snowball. So I'm gonna Robert- look that. Up. I've never, you know, being from Baltimore, you don't look that stuff up, right? So uh, I'm gonna have to definitely look that up. Yeah, I'll send you some of the links. I'll post them onto yeah. the publication when we go there. But yeah, I might like share some of that. That's interesting. If you yeah. want to look up something else interesting, look up duck pin bowling. I always thought that was very interesting. Duck pin bowling. What is that? Yeah, it's a big thing here. I don't know if it's exactly a Baltimore thing, but it's a bowling thing. You know, you have the big balls, but you got the little balls, and they're called duck pins. And the reason why they called them duck pins, because I actually researched this a little bit, was because when the ball would go down, you get three balls instead of two, and they're small. And when they would go down and hit the pins, the pins would splatter, and it looked like a bunch of ducks taking off. So they called it duck pin bowling. That is crazy. <laughs> is it harder than typical bowling, or is it? I think it's harder. I mean, I'm not a very good bowler anyway. You know, I can't make the ball come off the edge and curve in like those guys do, but. I think it's harder, but I think it's funner because you can wing that ball because it's such a small, light ball. And there's always a sign above them that says, please do not loft the balls because <laughs> you can get some air on them before they head down the lane. Yeah, it, it, I'm reading about it as we're talking. There's a decent New York Times article that I'll publish to this podcast. It says the ball is four pounds and it has no finger holes. So you just shoot it down the the lane, just like you said, three balls. It said that in the United States Bowling Congress, which is, I guess, the authority on duck pin bowling, there were fifty-two or fifty-five thousand certified three hundred games. So there's some good players out there. That's a that's a real sport, right? That's right. Cool. Now, is it scored the same way as typical bowling? It is, but since there's three balls, it's a little different. So if I remember correctly, your first ball, if you get a strike, right? It works in the big balls, but when you go to the next round, it's your second ball that you score on top of the 10 points. If you get a spare, and when you go to the next round, it's your first ball that goes with the extra 10 points. Wow. Yeah, Baltimore gets the nod for that one, too. It said it's long believed that the game emerged around 1900 from a Baltimore gaming hall owned by John McGraw. See, we're, we're known more than just for our murders. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm being from the Pittsburgh area. There was a football joke I was about to insert there, but you know, I'll keep it light today. Okay. <laughs> Anytime I get a chance to talk about the Steelers versus the Ravens, I always try to. Oh, it, but... Let me tell you something. I love talking to football because if there's any game that is the game of the watch is when we play you guys because it don't matter if we both suck or if we're both good or one is the other. It's always a good game. It's always a good game, right? Like they. Yeah. 
all the players get up for it. It's a heated rivalry. You know, oh, it's a pretty jovial rivalry across the fans. Yeah. We're, we're a great rivalry. Do you know Haloti Nada? I don't. Who's that? So Haloti Nada is one of our big defensive players, pro, uh, pro Bowl. He's retired a few years ago, but he was a Raven. He's the one that actually broke Ben Roethlisberger's nose that year. But let me tell you what a story about him. We were in the hospital feeding one time, and I'm friends with his wife, which is a whole other long story why I became friends on Facebook, friends with her. But basically, one night I got a, email, a text message from her saying that, um, man, I've been watching what you're doing on Facebook about with the kids up at the hospital. Listen to me. This is when he was playing for Detroit when he left Baltimore. They said they're going to fly in and, and come help us feed the kids. So I arranged when he got in, we went up there and he felt helped feed the kids and signed autographs for the kids and stuff. So it was really, really cool. He was the big with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Haloti Nada. That was the year, the second time we went to the um, Super Bowl. He was with yeah, him. I think I know who you're talking about. I mean, that's a yeah. lot of man. Those, those kids must big Hawaiian. I have a picture because it's cool. He's a big Hawaiian guy, Samoan guy, but his wife is, is a smaller and they have three kids and her son is the age of my oldest granddaughter. Well, what happened was I had one of my son's friends. I was watching the football game, and he comes to me. He goes, Mr. Mike, I got this Ravens jersey. I don't even know who it is. You, you want it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take it, right? So he bought it over, and it was an actual legitimate jersey, and it was Haloti Nada's. So I texted his wife, and I said, hey, do you think if I dropped it off at my aunt's house, because they live close down there where my aunt lived, you know, on the way out, Haloti would sign it. She goes, don't be silly. Bring it over. Now, this was the night that he won the night. He got the $9 million contract with the Ravens. So I go down to his house. He's got two front doors. Me and my son are down there. I knock on the door. Nothing happens. I ring the bell. She comes out like she's known me for years, went in the house. She goes, oh, I hope you weren't waiting long. I was like, no, I ring the bell. I rang the bell. But, you know, the answer, he goes, oh, that don't work. And I looked at him like, dude, you wake $9 million and your doorbell don't work. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got to get that fixed. <laughs> How big is that man? Like, I, I he love- huge. He's the same age as my son. And my son stood next to him. We took a picture. And he signed the jersey, and I have to send you the pictures because what I did is my kids framed the jersey that he signed along with the picture of me, him, and my son together in his house, and we framed it all together. They framed it for me, so I have to send it to you. He's he's a big guy. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, his son, his first son is huge too. It's like he's definitely going to be a football player. Yeah, and I love those stories, right? When you meet somebody that's been so successful in a public stage like that, but yeah. they, they're they're kind of down to earth like that still. Yeah, yeah, that had to be a fresh breath air, breath of fresh air. And so, I'm sure the kids probably went wild because you know the bigger you are, the better the kids like you. So they must have just been in. Awe. Oh yeah, and some of the kids were teenagers, and really, like I think some of the adults were even more excited with some of the you know teenagers, and they really like football. Like one of our kids, Justin, who was battling brain cancer. He's a big Ravens fan. So it was really nice for him to get to meet him and get photos with him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so your wife is from Germany. So I guess your, your birth was a little bit of a foreshadowing, right? Well, yeah. So that's another story. So basically she just walked in from her appointment, but I was four months away from getting married with my high school sweetheart, who I was dating for about three to four years when I I guess I accidentally met my wife somewhere and just kind of, you know, talking. And four months later, I'm like, I got to go home because I got to see if I'm just a, a young private and lust. And I went home and it just wasn't there. And I knew my wife for four months and asked her to marry me. And here we are 36 years later. <laughs> 36 years later. Off of yeah. four months. That's incredible. 
Yeah, it is pretty wild. I guess you know you know when it is what, what it is. And the funny part is when I was in Germany, my parents had thrown a bridal party for a bridal shower, and there was a cake with a you know the bride and groom on it. So after me and my wife had got married, I had some pictures in my. I moved out of the barracks and I was getting an inspection, and I had an emergency phone call. Well, she saw the picture of my prom. I was all in white. My ex-fiance was all dressed up. And then she seen another picture with the wedding cake. said, oh, my God, you're a big mess. You're already married. I'm like, no, no, no. Back then, luckily, the date was on the back of the picture. I said, look at the date. I said, one's a prom and one was a party they had before, you know, while I was in Germany. So that it was funny. pretty funny story. And so she was in Germany. Like, Did she come to the States then at that point? Or yeah, was- when I met her, she spoke no English. And my German was very, very rough. It was Maybe just that's why she funny. liked you then, right? I guess she didn't, yeah, she didn't speak English and stuff like that. So, yeah, she left. She left Germany and uh, she followed me home. And yeah, and I think like the less we talk, the less trouble we can get into. So if they can't, if at first you can't be understood, maybe that allows you not to get in trouble. Well, that was a concern too, being in the army with her for twenty years, and you know you're constantly deploying, constantly going somewhere. And I was like, when we retired out of the army, I was like, you know, we're going to be like together all the time. <laughs> That's going to work. But it actually worked out very well. So That's amazing. And you have two kids, you said? Yeah, I have. My daughter is 33 and my son is 29. And then I have two granddaughters by my kids. My son's daughter is 11. That's the one that's hooked to my hip. That's the love of my life. I mean, you know, I love all my grandkids, but we are very, very close. And then I have my daughter. Her baby's just turning a year at the end of this month. And then I have two boys by marriage, my sons and my daughters, two boys by marriage. Yeah. And so does everybody live close into the area? Are y'all in the... Yeah, actually, that's really good because, you know, being in the military, it was unfair that my parents really didn't get to be around the grandkids too much. But I'm blessed because both of my kids literally literally live like five minute drive or less from my house. So... And and how is it being the grandfather versus the dad? How about... What type of... Yeah, look, you know... I love my kids to death and and they say that, you know, there's something, it's unexplainable with the grandkids. You know, I always say there's the love of God and stuff like that, but right underneath of that, it's got to be the love of grandkids. I've never felt the love like that in my life. Like I could look at my granddaughter, I'm an old soldier and I sit there and cry. Like I said, me and my first granddaughter, my 11 year old, she, me me and her have been close since from day one. And so this COVID is kind of killing me a little bit. You know, I don't get to see her as much as I want to, but I'm starting to break away a little bit and we're both trying to, you know, get to see the grandkids. Cause I was thinking about it. Me and my wife were talking, I said, you know, what would really suck. We're staying away from the grandkids. We're not seeing them. And then we go to Seven Eleven or a grocery store and catch COVID, you know, and don't survive it where I'm not trying to be dramatic, but you know, and then I'm mad cause I didn't get to see my grandkids. So, so we're kind of seeing the grandkids a little bit here and there, but you know, still being careful and things like that. It's hard. It seems like you and your wife are pretty healthy people though. Right. Yeah, we try to do all the right things. Like I've been teleworking from home. And when I go in the office, at least I have my own office and stuff. She's been teleworking from home since before, you know, by the, when this all first started from a couple of months now. So, you know, we're real careful. We go wear our masks and things like that, do all this, you know, social distancing that we can. What's going on in Baltimore? Has there been mandatory quarantines and shelter in place? Everybody wearing masks? How, how- well, yeah, so they actually today was the first lifting. So it was pretty much stay-at-home orders unless you were mission essential. And then you could go to places like grocery stores and stuff. But as of today, you can now do recreational boating and recreational camping and fishing and things like that. Because we've flatlined now and kind of starting a downhill for the hospitals and stuff. So the governor, who I really like, Governor Hogan, is doing, I think, a wonderful job here. So I think that next week he's going to start slowly opening things up. 
but I need a haircut so bad as you could see yesterday. My hair has not been this long since I was a teenager. Preaching to the choir, have you gotten your home haircut kit out yet? I thought about letting a wife do it, but I just couldn't bring myself to it. <laughs> you know, the Walmart executive came out and one of the PRs, he said it was, it was funny though, right? Like at first it was medication, I think, or no, sorry. At first it was toilet paper that went off the shelves. Then it became like disinfectants and now it's hair dye. And so those home hair dye kits, people are buying them so fast that they can't keep them in stock because you know everybody's away from their barbers or stylists. And it makes sense. It's kind of funny. So there was a joke out there that by the time we're all back, we'll actually really get to see everybody's real hair, hair color. So that would be interesting to see. <laughs> right. Right. That is true. And, and so it's, it's, how has COVID been with your foundation? I, I know that you've got kids that are sick and they need hospital care, but it seems like all the focus has been on the coronavirus and the impact there. So are, are they still getting the same level of care? Has it been a challenge? They are. It's very, you know, they're, they're, they're nervous about things and stuff. I think I posted, I don't on my regular Facebook page. I wanted to share. We put on our golden fight Facebook and there's a picture of six, five children wearing their mask. And it basically said that these fighters can wear a mask so you, you can wear a mask for them. And it basically, I copied and put it on my personal wall so they can wear a mask and they know the quarantine life all too well. So if these can do it, I think we can do it for them. You know, it kind of, it kind of gets me and I keep my political stuff very limited on social media and things like that. And I try to keep as much as to my, you know, about what's going on with COVID and stuff, because I know it's a very passionate subject and people have their beliefs. And I'm not the type of person to get angry when, or disagree with somebody, you know, we all, that's what makes us great is that, you know, we all have different you know, depending on our background or our education and things like that, what we think. But I guess it just drives me a little crazy is that, you know, when folks complain about wearing masks or being quarantined, and I know these kids are locked in a hospital sometimes up to a year, you know, so if you want to learn about being quarantined, go talk to one of these kids. But as far as, yeah, the foundation is, you know, they're nervous. I mean, they've got to go to the hospital, get their treatments, get their chemo. You know, what they do is they go, they, they're inpatient and they all sit in these chairs around a circle and play their iPods and things like that and get their infusions and things. So, yeah, and I know a lot of moms I see on, I look on social media and a lot of moms, you know, are, are like, you know, why are you complaining about, you know, no, what, I think the biggest thing I've seen that made an impact is now you know what us cancer moms are going through, you know, talking about the whole worried about catching something and say, you know, because before the COVID it was about vaccinations. You know, there's a big controversy about getting kids vaccinated and the cancer moms are out there like, please get your kid vaccinated because it affects my child. And with cancer in children, one of the issues is that is, that, is the immune system as they're going through the treatment. Yeah. Is that where it's the, system, to play? It, it's the immune system? And so the kids are getting the same treatment that adults get. They're getting the same poisons put in their bodies. I have children that we've known that were cancer-free when they died, and they died from the treatment. You know, there's been only less than 4% of all government funding goes towards childhood cancer. I don't know the exact numbers for breast cancer and things like that, but they get, let's just, for instance, say 17% or uh, something like that. Childhood cancer gets the lowest. Now, what they say is childhood cancer gets the lowest because it's rare that 1% of all cancer is childhood cancer. But when I've got... 80 kids in a local area right here. And I've got two kids that sit next to each other in class that have cancer. 
I just don't get it. I don't believe it. I think I think the government needs to step up and put more emphasis on childhood cancer. I think there's only been three new drugs since, you know, God knows when, the 50s or, or whatever, the 60s, for childhood cancer. Yeah, it's really been a, a rough type of situation for the childhood cancer because there's it's like a tale of two stories from what I was doing in the research on before we started having this. And, and one story is you know, back in the fifties, they thought that 90% of people, kids that got cancer were going to end up passing away and dying. Now they've gotten the survival rate over 80%, but you know, that is still, that means 20% are passing away. And it seems yeah. like I read that 4% that you were talking about. I think since 1980, They've only come out with like 10 drugs that, that help go after childhood cancer. And you've got two. Well, that, that's more than I heard. You know, I'd have to look at that, you know, because I've always heard there's been three. But yeah, I'll, I'll send you over the link. It'd be interesting because it might not even be that, you know, there's that's always what's kind of fascinating with like the different yeah. sheets out there. Because well, you, you got to you know and what gets me is it's kind of like the COVID thing, too, here is. So we had two children who had the same cancer. They met each other right next door to each other in the hospital. Right. So one was a young little boy and one was a young little girl. They went through the process together, you know, when it, and, and the boy survived and it's cancer free and the, and, the, and the little girl died. I mean, you know, so it, it's a lot how they take it and their bodies take it. But, you know, just to pump these poisons in these kids, it's just it, it's. You know, I could tell you stories that would, you know, I sit here and get, gets me all choked up is, you know, we had one little boy. You know, he was such a happy kid. He's always laughing, smiling, just very, you know, and most of the kids are like this. You know, most of them are, are, are just so, I know I don't want to be cliche when I say they're brave, but they are, they are really, truly brave. Like I said, I spent 20 years in the Army, and I haven't seen any brave like I've seen this. But anyway, we had one of the boys, and we went there on a weekend just kind of hanging out. And he was showing me YouTube videos and stuff like that, and always been a happy kid. And then the nurse came in and was kind of changing some things and it, it just changed in an instant. And he started crying and telling the nurse, listen, I want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't even care if I die. I just don't want to be here anymore. And that broke, I think out of all the three and a half years I've been doing this or over four being around the kids is I think that was one of the two or three times that my heart just broke so bad that I had to leave the room and just bawl. I mean, to see this kid just say things like that, you know, and I, I follow all the social stuff. And when the mom, when the kids are telling mom, you know, mom, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You know, and the moms are breaking down. I mean, it's like, I mean, these kids grow up in an instant. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting in that sense, because even when you start talking about different types of diseases and cancer, you start to go to like the systemic impact, right? Like the numbers of people out there, the rate of people getting infected, the kind of survival rate, and that all starts to become like statistics. Yeah. But when you're a parent, statistics yeah. don't mean anything, right? You're right. watching your child go through something that no person should ever go through, period, but they're going through where they even understand what's happening to them. It's It's got to be something that's got to, it just has to be devastating to the family. Right. As a father, like as you're talking, I, I'm, I'm I got goosebumps just thinking through that, right? Yeah, I, I always sit there and say, I say, cancer sucks for any everybody. You know, we probably, everybody knows some adult, somebody who has had cancer, somebody who has passed from cancer, you know. But you look at that, you know, and then you look at look at what they're going through, and then you put that on a child. 
I mean, you put all that on a child and for the child to sit there and smile and tell mom or dad, it's going to be okay. I mean, the children are consoling the parents. It's crazy. I guess, you know, we jumped in talking about cancer and and kind of the challenges and what you're seeing out there and, and some of the interesting experiences with having professional athletes come through and see the kids, which is always heartwarming. Your foundation, Golden Fight, maybe you can take a couple of minutes and just talk through what that is, because that will probably tie the listeners to you know, how this conversation's uh, starting to unfold and, and how you're involved in this childhood cancer fight against you know, the cure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll try not to bore you. I'll try to give it a shorter version of it. But so, look, I've never been around childhood cancer or anything like that. I'm blessed with my family. You know, we don't have any childhood cancer in our family. So probably a little over four years ago, you know, I, like I said, I retired from the Army. I've got a pretty decent job with the Department of Defense right now. I've got a good life. You know, I got the, I'm got the American dream, the 2.5 kids, the dog, the picket fence, you know, all of that. So I was looking at a way to give back. So I'd already looking, and I've always been pretty good with kids. I love kids. I love to, you know, to watch kids as they grow and things like that. You know, having kids of our own, you know, that's what we do when we grow up and be parents. We just, you know, the kids are, are amazing to me. So I was looking at getting into some hospital work. You're going in there as a volunteer. So what had happened was we had a site come up on social media for a young girl who has Ewing sarcoma. Their father was a military member who, who worked where I worked and their car broke down and they were living in, in, you know, outside of the area for the hospital about 30 minutes away. So they were dependent on that car to get to the hospital. So when they went and took the car to the mechanic, it was told that it was a $10,000 needed a new engine. It was a hybrid car and it needed a new engine. So I had, I thought about them and I called my buddy who's a mechanic and I was like, Hey, I got this couple here that their kids got cancer and stuff, man. Could you check out the car for them to tell them it's $10,000 for an engine? So he had it towed to the shop for free. And even before he got to the shop, he called me up. He said, Mike, I found the engine for four grand. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it for that cost. I was like, dude, that's really cool. Thank you. So anyway, so he calls me after he gets a car, not even an hour later, and said, dude, the car's fixed. He said, it cost me $200. He said, I, I'm not going to charge them. So from there, it went to, he read the story of the family. He goes, hey, Mike, I want to put on a fundraiser. Now we're talking about, this is about the beginning of November. So it's kind of chilly out, kind of cold out, right? And I'm like, a fundraiser, dude, I don't know how to do a fundraiser. He goes, no, man, I read the story. We got to put something together. We got to do something for this family. So I said, cool, because I'm a talker. As you haven't noticed by now, I, can, I, I like to talk. So me and him went around to local vendors. We found a place. It was actually a little place on the water. And we, you know, we talked to them. Listen, we want to do a fundraiser. We told them the story. They're cool with it. Let's do it. We're going to do it mid-November. We were a little worried because it's kind of an outdoor, indoor place. And, you know, it didn't hold a whole bunch of people, but maybe about a couple hundred. So we went out. We got all kinds of raffles. You know, we did the whole thing, getting people to come in. Anyway, anyway long story short is we raised $9,000. So that was really cool. So from that point, the family was like, hey, you know, we really want to give back by taking food up to the hospital for those who helped us and to the families that are in the Johns Hopkins, the 11th floor, which is where all the pediatric cancer kids are all on one floor there. So again, as a talker, I went to a multiple restaurants and we lined up every Friday. We had a meal we would take up to the hospital for the families and the nurses and the doctors on the floor. Um, so I was doing that for about a year, getting to know the families, getting to see the hardship, really figuring out, oh, my God, what is going on? This is something that I've never experienced and never seen. 
these kids just affected me immediately. And if you ever meet a cancer kid, they will, they will affect your heart immediately. So during this time, while this is going on, I had one young lady whose daughter had cancer. She kept coming to me and she says, look, look at these comfy chemo shirts. And she, she showed me the shirt where the zippers came down on the front. It was tie dye. You know, it had a uh, little where the port can go in, wouldn't expose the female breast and things like that. So I was sitting one day at home thinking as I do, and I designed this hoodie that I wanted to do. And this was, I told my wife, I said, listen, I got an idea for a clothing line for cancer kids. My niece is in school in Germany to do, you know, to design clothing as a designer. So, and I said, I want it to be like Hanes, you know, Hanes, the tagline or the fruit of the loom, but I want it to be gold in fight because gold is the color of childhood cancer. Not a lot of folks know that. Everybody knows pink, but not a lot of people know gold. And I premised it on boxing because they were going through rounds of chemo. They were in a fight of their lives. Let's get in the ring. Let's fight with them. It was the first time in my 36 years of marriage or 30, by the time, 34 years of marriage, my wife's like, that is a brilliant idea. Do it. <laughs> so yeah. I had to go for it, right? I, so, love um, your, I love your brand. And and so I didn't know that gold was a, the childhood cancer color. Right. So pink is, and, and nothing wrong, you know, breast cancer sucks. I'm not taking anything away from any of that. Absolutely. But pink is so, you know, it's so put out. Everybody knows pink. Not a lot of people know gold. And we're actually trying to get with the NFL. We want NFL and, and other, you know, sports to start, you know, presenting gold during September, which is, by the way, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So anyway, so that was going on. And as I was meeting these families and doing the things and the, and the group I was with, they were trying to raise money for research, which I respected. You know, that was their story. But I'm from Baltimore and I'm up in there and I'm seeing this and I see these families that moms had to quit the jobs. You know, dad's, you know, working all for hours and, you know, $100,000 in debt, all the medical bills. So I felt like I needed to do something that was right away. So I had a friend of mine, another, he was an Air Force guy, I'm Army, but he says, Mike, you got to start a foundation, man. You got to start this. You got the passion. You got to drive. I said, dude, I know nothing. Again, I know nothing about foundation. You know, I, I do have a you know background of uh, program and project management, and I've been a, list, a logistics guy forever. So he's one of these things. He brought me the paperwork, and there I am signing his paperwork like you're signing for a house, all these different papers. And, you know, three months later, we were 501c3. And I said, the obvious name has got to be Golden Fight. It's got to be the Golden Fight. So that's what we did. So at, in the beginning, and I'm sorry, I know I go on and on, but in the beginning, our premise was to save the world, right? We wanted to, you know, help every family. We wanted to do so much. What we quickly found out is like, look, you got to streamline this thing. You got to figure out what you want to do. And there was a couple of things that was very important to me when I started this. Number one was the name Golden Fight because I, you know, it was one thing I, my wife said that was a great name. So, but even more important was, you know, a lot of times you give the foundations and you don't know what percentage actually goes to what you're trying to do, right? So it was very important to me that everything that we raise goes towards the fight. Nothing comes, I'm not going to take any money. We're all volunteers. I, you know, I, like I said earlier, I have a pretty nice little life. I got about four more years to retire for the government. And I want to do Golden Fight full time and I'm not going to get paid to do that. It's just what I want to do to help these kids. So that was number one. So what I'm proud of is the past couple of years is when we raised about $60,000 and, you know, it's not a lot, but it, it's good. It's a start, right? But only 2.4% of that went to admin costs. Everything else is, is we're asking, we're getting donated and things like that. So it's about $800, I think it was, that went to administrative costs. That's pay for some storage. I have a tax guy. I got to pay to do my taxes because I want to make sure I stay in good, right, with that. So that was important to me. Uh, what we do is we help families financially. So what we do is we pay small bills for the families is number one. That's the number one thing. So 
they'll come in, you will we'll pay a bill once a year up to two years after treatment, because even though the treatment's over, right, the bills don't go away. So we do that. But what happened was very interesting. So we started getting people wanting to donate to us things like we had a high end hair salon said, Mike, God, I love what you're doing. Listen, give me 20 of your moms. I'm going to do a full, full makeover. We'll serve them lunch. You know, we'll do a makeover, haircuts, color, whatever they want. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I had the goalie from the Baltimore Blast. He came out, you know, and he's like, hey, let's bring your kids out. We're going to go to Fogo to Chow. We're going to feed them. And then we're going to let the kids play soccer against our Baltimore Blast soccer team. Really cool. So while all this is happening, we're like, you know, we got to find a way to get a hold of these families pretty quick to get the information that we need to get them, you know, you know, to go get their haircuts, things like that. You know, like I said, we're brand new at this. Right. So what we did was we created a private golden fight Facebook page. Now, it's only for families. You have to answer questions to get into it because we, we screen them, make sure that they're families who are battling cancer. We found out very, very quickly. These families came in here and it became a support group. These families, so new families have found out their child had cancer are talking to families who, you know, been through the fight. So in this support group, there's families who have been through the fight. Their kid are survivors. There's families in there who lost their child and there's families whose kids are going through the fight. So that almost became more important than the financial aspect of it. But what I really love about what we do, and this is what makes my heart sing every single time, because when, when we have an event, the kids and the families come free. We don't never charge them for that. So what we do is when you decide, okay, listen, I really love what you're doing. You know, I want to become part of the Golden Fight family. My fighter wants to be part of that. We send them a gold boxing glove necklace. So every one of our kids get this little necklace medallion that's a gold boxing glove. And when I say, when you see kids walk into an event or you just see a picture of them or you see this there and they're wearing that boxing glove, it's the most amazing thing. Um, I have one kid, his mom said he refuses to take it off. He hasn't taken it off since he got it. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of things we do, but the premise is, you know, like I said, we help financially. We're kind of a support group in that aspect. When things get offered to us, you know, we get it to the families and things like that. And that's the other thing that's unique about us is we're very close to our families. You know, a lot of foundations, you know, you'll give money and that's it. So, you know, I, I know most of the kids personally, you know, not all of them. As we grow and get more and more kids, it's more difficult. But I know a lot of the kids personally. I know the families. I make it a point to, you know, to be there for them. I'm 20 minutes from the one hospital Hopkins down the road. So if they need something, I'll run it down there. Anyway. Yeah. I don't want to get lost in my conversation, but you know, that's what we're about. We're about just helping these kids, man. Yeah. And I think you have such a great story and I love the brand. You were talking about the logo and so you have the gold gloves and you mm -hmm. have the golden color and then you have these kids as almost a ring. You know, what's right. going on with that? Well, so the boxing gloves, like I said, you know, we represent, we went through the boxing thing. I don't know why it was in my head. We when, when we did it, it kind of liked it. Everybody liked it. So we stuck with that premise of the boxing. And then, you know, it was funny because when you say that, it's we were designing the logo. And we had first the boxing gloves hanging. And then somebody says, you know, that almost looks like they're hanging on a ring. We don't want that. Let's put the boxing gloves up in the air like they're fighting, right? So that was a part of the aspect of it. And we put gold in fight. And obviously the color gold was part of it. Now, the only downside to this whole thing with Golden Fight and the colors are gold and black. Well, if you're any kind of football team and like me as a big Ravens fan, I find that one hard to swallow. But I, I don't know why, Mike. I do not understand <laughs> why. That, I thought that those colors were beautiful. That was one of the reasons why I reached out to you all. I'm sure you did. And so, and then one of our 
Brian's wife, who's Brian works and he's the vice president of, of, of the foundation and his wife's on the foundation too. It's basically me, Brian and our wives. And I'll, I'll talk about some of the other uh, folks that help us in a minute. But she was like, I really like the idea of putting it started out. We put like just golden kids going around it. And then we went and we seen one somewhere else. So I, I won't lie. We seem kind of snatched that one where the go where the kids are just in a circle around the boxing. So, you know, they're just kind of holding hands. If you kind of imagine that and are around the golden fight as family, I guess it's going to represent because, you know, that's what we're about. It's the family of this. You know, we've seen so much with the families. Like I go went back earlier, you know, so much in debt. Here's the other thing that's crazy with the, the divorce rate is it's kind of high. I mean, can you imagine you put this stress on there and. And then, you know, when your child survives or not survives, it seems to me that, you know, from, I don't have any statistics on it, but just I know a lot of people where the divorce rate gets high and I can understand it. I mean, it's a lot of stress to put on a, on, a, on a thing. And here's the other thing that we're very, very cognizant about is the siblings. So a lot of times the siblings get forgotten this whole thing, right? I mean, your mom is spending, you know, so much time up in the hospital and then dad is switching out and dads are up in the hospital, you know, for so long. And then Sometimes I, the, the siblings can feel left out, right? Uh, so when we do things, we include the siblings too. So when we do our breakfast with Santa and we, we, we do an angel tree, so we do an angel tree at my work, we don't just put the, the, the kids you know, that are battling cancer on there. We put the siblings on there too so we can buy presents for them too that get donated and we take it to them. We want to include the entire family. Anybody that comes to our events, you know, they, like I said, the families, are, they, they come free, the immediate family. Yeah, you know, you're talking about some of the challenges that the parents have as far as the relationship. And I did some reading before we went into this discussion. And one of the interesting articles out there was talking about the different roles that you take in, in the family. And, and specifically, because this is the Dad Corp podcast, you know, oh, I yeah. a little bit about the father's impact. And it was really interesting because you know, some of the key issues that fathers go through is the ability to you know, acknowledge their weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You know, it's not something that we're, we're typically very good at communicating, but as a father, you kind of feel as a protector of your children, and but you're actually out of control out of that situation. You have ability um, other than being there to kind of just support and help the child go through, but they're, they're in that fight. They're in that ring kind of on their own. I'm glad you said that. I don't want to cut you off, but I have to tell you the story because you brought it up and you're exactly right with the dad corp. So listen, here's, here's a quick one for you. So I'm in the hospital, you know, we're feeding one day, you know, up the hospital, hey, that term feeding, but, you know, we've taken food up to the hospital and I'm in the little break room. I had to walk away. I'm sitting in a break room and this, this gentleman comes in Now he's got cut off sleeves, huge, definitely weightlifter. You can see he's, you know, and he's struggling with a small pack of crackers. You see his hand shaking and I'm like, sir, you know, we bought some food over there. You're more than welcome to go get some. And he goes, I can't eat, dude. I can't eat. He said, I go to the gym every day. I lift weights. I got all these muscles. My daughter's five years old was jumping in the pool or the other day. I got all these muscles and what did they do me for? I can't even protect my daughter from this. And he starts bawling. And, you know, it, it's another one of a few times I say that it just, it hit me hard. You know, as you're right, as a dad's group, you know, I mean, sons, daughters, these are dad's sons and daughters, man. It's, I can't even sit there and imagine going through that with any of my kids and grandkids, you know, and doing this work, it kind of, Every time now my kids get sick, I think, you know, and I say, okay, Mike, stop, stop, you know, but I can't imagine it, man, as a dad to watch your kid and you feel helpless because you're right. That's exactly what you said. It was right. We feel like we're the protectors of our children, our families, and then you're helpless. 
Yeah, dude, you, you got me choked up on that one. Oh, Sorry. No, I got a six-year-old daughter, so no yeah. thought of that. That's dumb. Just, you, know, you know, I have a friend of mine who uh, tells me, he goes, dude, I love what you're doing. Because, see, a lot of times when I put stuff on our website, I'll share it with my personal Facebook page. He's like, dude, I love what you're doing, but, man, I got to scroll past all your stuff. I can't. I can't. I don't know how you do it. And I tell him, dude, I'm like, what are you talking about how I do it? I don't have to do it, but them kids do. I could walk away tomorrow saying three to four years I did a really nice thing. But them kids, man, they can't quit this. What gives me the right to quit it? I feel blessed that they let me in their world. I don't have a kid with cancer, but they accept me into this world, man. And it's like, to me, that's just, I'm honored for that. I really am. And I have to think that it has to become a a close-knit committed community just because you're going through something that unless you've went through it, it, you know, you have, I have a sympathy and the empathy, but I just never have the appreciation or the understanding. Right. Right. I mean, we can't, even I can't, I've been around it. I'm around it all the time now, you know, it consumes me sometimes. And then I, and I got to get away from it because I get so angry and I get so upset that this is happening to these kids. And it's like, and, and I'm not even their dad and I feel helpless, you know, and I want to do so much more. And I want to yell at the world, especially what we're going through now. I understand this is hard with the COVID and I understand it's hard with staying away. And I understand it's hard with the masks, but man, these kids do it every single day. Come on. You know, sometimes I get so mad and I'm like, why are we so consumed with ourselves and not what's going on around us? I mean, I'm a Christian man. And what are they taught? We're taught, you know, you, you help your fellow man. Yeah, amen to that. You know, I would love to say that I was in that boat, but I probably am guilty of being one of the people that you would you would probably not be thrilled with when this first started because I think I got so consumed with the economic impacts and the kind of the disruption to my own life. And you yeah. know, one of the things yeah, I, get that. I really truly get that. I do get it. I get it. It's hard for all of us. It really, really is. And I mean, I'm not saying I agree with everything that's going on or disagree. And that's that's a whole nother conversation. I get that. And I, I'm not trying to put it all in one little bubble. I'm really not. It's just I, I just I just sometimes wonder where the compassion is. You know, it, it's it's not always about, you know, I always sit there and say this is a funny thing. And, and, and I may lose a couple of friends over this and I would never put this in public, but I got to say it. You know, I'll put a picture out there on Facebook with me and my my, my grandbaby and I'll get a hundred and some likes on it. And then I'll put a picture of one of these kids out there that, you know, I just want to try to, and I'm thinking, guys, you know, I get maybe two, three likes. I'm like, you know, where's that hundred likes for these kids? Right. I don't know. It's kind of silly. I don't want to sound, you know, petty on any of that stuff, but I, I don't know. It's just, like I said, sometimes it consumes me and, I, and I've got to walk away from it and just say, okay, I got to get away from this. I, I'm not judgmental at all. You know, I, like I said earlier in this thing, everybody has, their opinions on things. And I learn from opinions and I learn from, you know, looking at things. And I know we all come from different backgrounds and, you know, I'm blessed to still be working and things like that. And I know there's folks, even my friends who are out of work and I get it. I really, really get it. But I just wish, I think it's not so much as what I, I just, when your opinion, I, it's when you, you don't think of others when you're putting stuff out there, you know, I don't even know how to say it anymore. Just be a part that you'd have. Not at all, man. Not not at all, Mike. Not at all. Like I agree. And I think Corona and COVID has created a teachable lesson for all of us. Like I said, I, 
you know, I'm a capitalist to the hilt. And so when I saw kind of the shelter in place and then, you know, some of our quote unquote freedom start to go away and then mm. the economic impacts, I got pretty upset. Mm. But I, you know what I was upset about when you, if I really take a reflection, I was upset about the daily disruption to my life. Oh my goodness. I can't go to work. I can't be in the office every day, mm-hmm. but I, I forgot to look at like the positive, which is I got to spend time with my family that I've never got to spend right. And so, you know, you're right. Like there's a, this is an opportunity for people to become more authentic. We were going so fast and we're all chasing some dream that never ends, but we forgot that we're all humans and, and, and we also kind of forgot about each other. And so this has really given us a chance to kind of look to your, your fellow brother and sister and just really say, I, like, what can I do to like make this a better situation, right or wrong about the, the response and how people have acted the community, the government, they've went down to this type of response. So as humans with each other, we've got to support each other and, and be in it together. I'll quote many of the kids, like I said earlier in this, to everybody who's going through this and it's quarantine and has, has a rough time right now because I know it's happening, but I'm going to quote the kids and say, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, one of the things that, you mentioned about your foundation and golden fight that I really thought interesting when we talked was the focus on some of the things that aren't typically talked about. Like everybody knows there's hospital bills out there, but people forget that this takes an absolute devastation to the the parents as far as their own careers and, and their ability to keep their jobs going emotionally, physically, and just the, the amount of time. Uh, the, the additional costs that nobody talks about in business, we call them hidden costs. Like it sounds like just parking at a place like at John Hopkins, you know, that's, that's a expense for a day that you know, adds up. Uh, and, and so one of the things I think I, I really liked is that you focus there because, you know, as I was going through that list of fathers that I was telling you about, you know, one of the things that really becomes a burden on the father is their, their own career. And, and, and I, I don't want to just single out fathers because, you know, two, it takes two and many people were having, no, but, but from a dad court perspective, you know, this is really kind of singling out the dads and in, in the, the back of the mind, like, Hey, I'm also one of the providers or if not the provider of the family, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of your situation, how do I keep that going and make sure our family's stable while I also tear away from the time that I want to spend with my kid who's right. sick to the point where they may not be around. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, you brought me back to that dad core thing core, and, and, you know, and it, it is so true, you know, and it, yeah, the moms, everybody's having a hard time, but you're right. The, the dads are out there. A lot of the dads, I would say the better percentage of them are out there that are trying to keep the jobs going. Sometimes working two jobs now because mom just has to quit, man. She's not going to leave her kid in there. So, you know, he's, and how do you work with this? Because it's in your head, right? I mean, it's like, you got to pay attention to your job. You got to, you know, it, it's just so much for a family to go through all this in a dad, you know, we have this pride as dads, right? We, we want our kids to grow up better than we were and have better than we did. And that's what we do. That's, and, and then this happens to you and your child happens to you, what happens to your child. And now you're like, I don't know if you kind of like put it on yourself, you know, it's just hard. It's hard for everybody, but I get that perspective of, of a dad, you know, a proud dad is my son, you know, or my daughter, my little girl. You know, so I get it. 
And when you look at those expenses that you talk about, what are those? Like you mentioned the parking, oh. I think it's fast. And parking, you know, if you're listening to this out there and you've never had to do that, a park, uh, John Hopkins, what does that type of daily cost? $12 a day. $12 a day. Now you imagine that you're going up there quite often because now when you're staying up there, sure, you can get, you know, dropped off or whatever the case may be, but then you have maintenance and you have appointments and you have all this stuff. So one of the things we do is we do help with that. We buy parking passes for the families and stuff so they can get and get free parking. But then you got to take into consideration there's food expenses, right? So you're in the hospital. Now you're down there. You got to get food. You got to get meds. You got to get, there's things that insurance don't cost. When I tell you, folks are a hundred thousand whatever in debt. You know, I'm not exaggerating with that. It, it's crazy. You know, especially now that I get to pay, help pay, you know, just a small amount of these bills. I see what are coming. Do you know what a child's funeral costs? The average bill for, I see it for a child's funeral coming in. I'm talking about a two, three, four, five-year-old child, the tiny casket. Have you ever seen one of them? I've seen them talk about heartbreaking more than $8,000 just for the funeral cost. Just for the funeral cost, you know, so one of the things we do, whether we helped out or not during that year, let's say we've paid a bill for your family and then your child passes that year, we automatically put $500 towards the funeral cost. I mean, that's a, that's, a, you know, a drop in the bucket, but you know, that's something that we do to, to help. And Mike, I know yesterday you mentioned you've been to more than one of those. What's yeah. that type of experience like for the family? So, yeah, I always talk about. The double-edged sword, right? And now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I had to ask the question quickly, my friend. So, you know, the first year we did this, it was really cool. You know, was, we I didn't see any funerals. I didn't go to any funerals. It was really close to the kids. You know, we were pretty small. And as this grew and I got to know the kids and it grew more, the problem with knowing the family so close is when the children pass away. So I've been, our foundation, me and Brian and Glenda and my wife, we've been to probably about 10 funerals in the past year or so of little kids. And when I say a little coffin, I'm talking about a tiny little coffin, little kids who are two, three, four years old, teenagers, you know, who got their whole lives ahead of them. It's just, it, it's heartbreaking. It is. Now, the, the flip side of that is when I feel good is when a child beats cancer and they get to go ring that bell and they call me and they say, hey, Mike, hey, Brian, you know. We'd love for you guys to be there when our child rings a bell that he's cancer, she's cancer free. That's the good side of that. So it's really tough. But it was important to me when we started this, as I going back to when I say there were certain things that was very important to me was that we'd be there for the families if we could. You know, we're not going to be there as we grow for all the families, but for the ones that we could, um, you know, and that's if that's going to a funeral and just being there and showing support. You know, going to the bell ringing and showing that support, it means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I have friends on Facebook. Now my Facebook page is going up tremendously of folks that are out in all different states throughout the United States. And I, I keep up with them, kids, on how they're doing and their treatments and things like that. And just one today, you know, was, was talking about her little girl. And I was like, man, I'd love to come out and meet her. And, you know, I just want to meet all these kids and just freaking tell them. It's going to be okay. I'm sorry. I know I get a little sidetracked sometimes in my conversation. You don't have to apologize. I think you deserve yeah, the, the, the funerals is, is really, really tough, man. Or, you know, when you have one, my, my buddy, Justin, you know, you know, and they ask questions, or, am I going to die and things like that? You know, it really, it's really, it's really heartbreaking to me. And so when parents are going through that situation from the beginning moment that they find out they're, their child has cancer. 
are there groups or support infrastructure to help them talk to their children, you know, help them? You know, I'm sure there is. I, I'm not really too deep involved in that, but I will say this. I will say that one of the reasons when I started this is going back to when we were taking food and one of the moms came up and said, oh my God, you guys, you, you changed my life. I'm like, we brought food. What are you talking about? Or he said, he hasn't ate in three days and this is his third plate. And that was kind of what pushed me towards too. I said, man, if we can do it, just bring food. Imagine what we do, we help with bills, right? But one of the things I always heard going back to your point was, you know, they, a lot of them are like, I just wish I had somebody to talk to, you know, somebody was going through the same thing. Because a lot of times you remember these kids are like in their room trapped. I mean, they can't really get out and do things and stuff like that and talk to other people. And I think that's what really hit home with our quote unquote support group. And we kind of try to leave that group alone and let them do for their own. The only time we'll interact really is if we've, you know, been offered something and we'll get into the group, you know, to see about getting it to them. But yeah, so we bought on board. We're trying to get more, more talk with them, but we bought on board in the group an actual grief counselor or a counselor and things like that, that we allowed into our support group for folks who might want to reach out to that person or things like that. So we were able to do that. That's wonderful. Um, you know, one of the things I, I kind of remember going to your point too is, and again, I don't know what's out there for support in, in the Maryland area, especially, but, you know, one of our, one of my, Gigi, beautiful little girl, when she passed away, I remember her mom was telling me that, you know, they take the baby and they put the baby in a little wagon and they roll around the floor so all the nurses and all can say goodbye to the baby, right? And then the mom walks out of the hospital and it's like the doors closed behind her and that's it. And it's like, now what moms struggle every single day. Dads too struggle every single day with their loss of their child. So you don't only have that, you have what's called survivor's guilt too, right? So we have moms and dads that feel guilty that their child survived and the kid in the room next to them didn't, you know, so it's, it's more than just with the kid passing away. And then guess what? Every time this kid who is cancer free, right? Every time something happens, they get a cold you got to worry about it, right? So, yeah. Most of the time we get referrals for people that need help is from the families. So what I mean by that is it's by word of mouth that Golden Fight, hey, do you have you heard about Golden Fight? You know, they can help you financially. Oh, my God, Golden Fight's a great organization, man. you got to get a hold of Mike or Brian or Glenda or, or Liani, and you got to get a hold of them. These guys are really good people. And that feels good, but the problem with that is why am I getting it all from word of mouth of families? You know, I would love maybe in the future when we get our, our stuff, like I said, we're a young foundation. We're only three and a half years old, you know, and we get everything right. I want to get into that world of it. I want to get into the hospital world of it and say, you know, we've got to be able to do something. So here's my idea. And if anybody wants to steal it out there, I, I don't really care. By all means, go for it. Do it. So, you know, everybody is on their phones, right? Everybody has apps. I want to create an app where you can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to Maryland. Maryland is, they're going to send me to Johns Hopkins, right? So I want to know what is out there for me in Maryland for support, like Golden Fight for financial support, or like you kind of said, for uh, mental health support and things. I would love to create an app where you click on childhood cancer, you click Maryland, and you click support, and all the agencies are listed in that app. You know, that was one of the things I thought of a couple of years ago, but I'm not smart enough to do it. And you know, it's hard getting volunteers and stuff to do it. So if any of your, your peeps out there know how to do it, talk to me. Let's get that thing rocking. Yeah, let me take a look at something we should be talking about in the dad corp. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be really cool, right? If you did it state by state, start from A to A to what's the last state? Y, Z, I don't know. Um, you know, just 
and you just push the app and then you go to a state and it tells what's out there. I mean, it's going to take a little bit of research, but I'm, yeah, I'm there. I'll, I'll figure out everything that's available in Maryland for you. I'm sure there's websites that kind of do it, but let's put it in an app. That's a legitimate issue for cancer patients and families overall, regardless of age. My wife, her mother had passed away from cancer and she is just thrilled at what you're doing and the fact that you and I have had a chance to connect because she said she had no idea what was out there. And and I'm going to go to a point that I want you to talk about a little bit, but by the time that her mother was diagnosed and had started to go through the treatments and my wife had learned that there are options. Her mother was so far along that they actually were rejected from some of the foundations out there. And I won't name the foundation mm-hmm. because uh, right. everybody has their reasons and, you know, they're, they're trying to do what they can with the, the money that they have. But, you know, I think one of the things that you said yesterday that really stuck with me is that you're focusing on, a number of families that typically wouldn't get help from some of these foundations because they focus on certain certain patients that have a higher likelihood of survivals, which helps the, the, the percentage out there from a, a field. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I'll be like you. I won't, I won't mention it. I'm sure we'll probably know. But yeah. And again, it goes back to key important things with me. You know, we don't turn down families for anything. So look, one of the things I told Brian, I said, when we started, I said, hey, Brian, I, I need to make this a very easy application process, right? I don't want it to be so cumbersome where I got to know what all your household income is. And I, it, it don't matter, right? It don't matter. It don't matter. Whatever you're living, the way you lived your life and your status in life, right? It's all going to be affected. So I don't care about all that. If you need help, I want it to be easy. It's as simple as going to your phone. You can do it on your phone. You go to our website, you click on support, and you can fill it out right there. And then what I, I do is my wife, she's the finance person on it. We sit there and every Friday, because I work full time, right? So on Fridays, what we do is I take the time and we pay that bill. It's that easy. And then we do keep a log, you know, so we know we, you know, who we paid for that year and stuff like that. But it's not some cumbersome paperwork that you got to go through. And I got to see bank statements and what's in your savings account. I don't care about that. You're going through hell right now. You know, and it's not like I'm giving you a million dollars or paying all your bills off. If I could, I would for sure. But and then, and, you know, here's the other upside of that. There are families that are a part of our golden fight that we've never assisted in whatsoever. And they told me, Mike, I don't need your help. I mean, I've got a great job. You know, I'm doing wonderful. Things are good. You know, it sucks with this cancer, but, and that's great. Most of the people that we help is people that they really don't have a whole lot anyway. And then you lose their job because of these things. And families are losing their jobs because of this. I had a family who was looking for rides to get to the hospital for chemo treatment because they don't have a car. Now, come on now. So, yeah, so that's the thing about us. You're a real life hero out there. One of the other points I want to make about your foundation, which has drawn us to it, is you know, I love the the inclusiveness, right? If people need help, you help them. You're not trying to bring in the kind of dangle of promotions to go out for fundraising and show your percentage or you're bringing in the first come first serve. People need help and you're out there making impacts into their life, getting to know the kids. So I love that impact that you're making. I also am a huge fan of the fact that you mentioned earlier that you're involved with the families. You're not arm's length. You're not out there you're just a nice tie, you know, black tie dinner, raising some money, handing it over. And then, you know, on with your life, you're, you're getting to know these kids. So you're seeing the struggle and, you know, the, the challenges these parents have. 
Well, and that's the cool thing too about, about saying that is when you come to our events, here's really cool, right? So if you give some of these bigger foundations and stuff like that, whether it be, you know, the puppies, the the children, the adult, whatever that foundation is, right? When you come to our event, guess what? Our families are there. So, you know, some families are going to make it, like I said. So you're actually there hanging and getting to meet and talk to a lot of the families that you're helping. And that puts a whole personal touch on that. And the families are very appreciative of that. And, and a lot of the families, they want their story told. They want their child's story told. They really, really do. And that's for awareness of what's going on. You know, it's nothing for self-serving. It's basically that this is happening, man. This is really going on and, and something needs to be done. What type of cancer do you all find most prevalent in your families or is it spread out in their different? It, it is. It does vary. I would say for me, the most I've run into here is leukemia, brain cancer, and some of the sarcomas and stuff like that. But a lot of that kids I deal with is probably leukemia and brain cancer. And when you look at the difference, so could you tell me a little bit about leukemia versus sarcoma? You mentioned an earlier one that was Ewing sarcoma, I think. Ewing sarcoma. And yeah, I'm, I'm not real good on that kind of stuff. I don't really study up on this stuff, but I know like Ewing sarcoma is like a bone cancer and things like that. And then you have like the little girl who we, we dealt with, you know, who was the first got me into this thing. You know, she had three ribs removed. She has a rod going down her spine and she was five years old. Right. So, yeah, so that's like a bone kind of cancer. And then you have obviously leukemia is the blood cancer and then you have brain cancer and brain tumors and things like that. Yeah, I think lymphoblastic. Lymphoblastoma is a, is, a, um, is a one here, too, is a big one here. We have a, we had a little baby who was just a couple of weeks old who had uh, lymphoblastoma. Yeah, I have a hard time with the, all the. You know what's really sad is I have the time with the hard time when you get to five years old putting it out there like a doctor would tell you. Well, you know, it's interesting because the names are so long and complicated that yeah. you hear leukemia, you hear sarcoma and right. brain cancer. And there's different types of leukemia, types. there's that, there's different types of sarcomas. And these kids can rattle them off at five, six, seven years old, like they'll say it perfectly. And you're like, you know, you ain't supposed to know this word. Yeah. And in the families that you're supporting, what type of journey are they on by the time they get to you all? Is it something, right, they've just found out their kid has cancer or have they been doing this for a while or is it really a... It varies. It really varies. I mean, you have some who, you know, find out that their child has cancer and then they have to come to grips with that. And, they're, you know, they, should, they bring themselves alone. You know, they don't reach out to us. And, and I get it. Even when other folks say, no, reach out to Golden Fight, you know, they're apprehensive and stuff. And I get that. And then they'll come to us later on because they'll, you know, as we work through the hospitals and, and stuff and they get to know what we do and stuff. But, and then you got some that are just jump right on it with you and things like that are there for the help. Like I said, so I, I can, it's important to say this. So we don't turn anybody away. So like you'll come to us and you'll say, listen, I need some financial support. And we'll say, okay, here's the financial support. Now you have two choices. We can see you next year. We'll help you again next year. Or, of course, if your child passes away, let us know we'll, we'll help toward the funeral bills. And we don't see the kids anymore. Then there's the other part of that. We say, but if you want, you could join and be part of the Golden Fight family. And I'll say, well, what does that mean, be part of the Golden Fight family? Well, the number one thing is we invite you, if you want to, to join our private webs, our Facebook page just for our families. You don't have to. There's nothing. Your child receives the gold boxing glove that we send to them. And all we ask in return is, you know, just for our pages, take a couple of pictures and stuff and, you know, give us a little update how they're doing so we can put that awareness out there. 
And then anytime that we get things offered, like we can send family once a month. Uh, I love the place down here, the little, uh, what was it, the knights and the sword fighting. It's a little dinner theater restaurant. They do all the knights and the jousting and all that stuff. Uh, medieval times. Medieval times here in the Baltimore area, they let us send one family a month to the medieval times. So you get things like that. You know, I've given families, you know, people offered brand new furniture. I mean, just off crazy things. And then you become part of a mailing list. You come to all our events free. Uh, we do a... So what we really do, one of my favorite things we've done the past couple of years is called Gold Day on the Bay. And what that is, it's not a fundraiser. It's just for our families to come out. We have the, a little North Point Yacht Club. Let's just put it on. We bring our families out. We have people who have volunteers with their boats. We take the kids out on boat rides. They pull crab traps. The fire department comes with their big speed boat and the fire hose and lets the kids squirt the fire hose. We have a band there. We have a dunk tank there. You know all that stuff. We have restaurants bring food. And it's just a day for the families to get away and be with each other and forget about cancer for one day, but hang around other kids that are going through all this and other families and get to socialize and meet. And you know, one of the areas that your foundation is very interesting is that you're holding these events and you've held these really fascinating events. Your medieval times, if you haven't been out there, that that's a great time. It's just a good. I took my granddaughter there. We loved it. I bet she did. Yeah, I mean, as adults, it's a. She, it's was, a she loved it because she was the princess of the thing. At the end, he gave her the the little sash. <laughs> it was really yeah. cool. But you're able to do these on such a low administration budget, and I want to highlight that because you said it, and I didn't get a chance to really focus in on that point, but if people are going into foundations and I think they've right or wrong. There's great foundations. And I think most of them start out with the right intent and then bureaucracy along the way gets in the way. And, and for whatever reason, you know, the fundraising process has, has gotten a little bit of scrutiny and you see these foundations out there. And I, I know some more, some around the cancers foundations that 82% of their donations go to fundraising. It's it's astonishing. You see another one that only 30 cents on every dollar actually go to help the patients. And so the, I won't name those names, but what I love to see and hear from you all that I thought was fascinating is you're holding these events and your percentage is astonishingly low. It's like two or 3%, I think you said, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I think we, the last year was 2.4%. So, so this is what we do. And, you know, and as we grow, obviously your costs are going to grow, That's right. but they don't have to all grow. So it's a lot of work. It really is. So, like I said, like I'm off every other Friday on my job. Right. So we'll have an event come up, which is our birthday bash. I will literally park my car downtown and I will walk from sports cards, sports stores. I will walk to gyms. I will walk to whatever store I can walk to and ask for donations for our event. So we can do raffles and we can do the, you know, the little silent auctions and things that, that go with all of this. Um, I literally walk there. My folks, my people, my families, the families who are fighting cancer, they go and they get us amazing prizes. I mean, we got big a grill set, with, you know, things like this that we get donated to us. Um, we get a lot of no's and a lot of doors closed and stuff. Oh, I give the, you know, this organization because they're bigger or this organization. And I get it because nobody knows Mike Jeep from Gold Plate, right? Nobody knows who I am. But I beat the payment. And so do my families that are, that are dealing with this. They do it for Golden Fight because they love us so much. So going back to that is we try to get everything donated. 
So when we did the storage, you know, you know, we, for a year, I got it, was able to get it for a year free for the storage. And then, of course, they're just giving me it at a reduced rate. But, you know, and I get that. So the things, and then we got to pay the tax guy because I want to make sure that I'm good standing with the IRS all the time. So I make sure I, I don't, I can't, can't skip away from that unless I can find a good tax guy that's willing to do it for free. Glad to hear and that, then, Mike. Glad to hear you guys are staying. Uh, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the IRS. No, that's my wife is, my wife is terrified of the IRS. <laughs> I don't know why. Stigma with the IRS that she's terrified but no, we want to listen at the end of the day, it's all about this. You know, I just want to do the right thing, man. And I'll always do the right thing. That's my one promise to anybody that donates to our foundation or gets involved with our foundation. I will not tolerate anything doing the wrong thing. You know, like I, I'm a retired soldier, right? And I think uh, Wounded Warrior is a great program to do wonderful things. You know, um, they got caught in that little thing a couple of years ago, whatever the case may be. But, you know, the program is really, really good. But I will never get caught up. You can never. My books are open for anybody to look at anytime they want. Every single dime that we make goes. We've all, we're all volunteers. Everything that I do, I get volunteers to help out do. Everything I try to get, I try to get, you know. And it works on the books, too. So, you know, I can't say everything is, you know, all roses. So, like, if, if I was to buy something for an event. You know, it just comes out of the event cost, if that makes sense. I don't want to sit here and go through all the, the boring part of the bookkeeping and things like that. But again, when we when we put it all out there, we don't get paid to do any of this. Everything goes towards the fight. And I will always that will always be the case. Always. The only thing that may go up is if when I start making millions of dollars in this foundation and become bigger than some of these uh, foundations that are out there, you know, the big names, we may have to pay that tax guy a little more and things like that. But as far as being paid to do this job, it's not a job, man. It's a service. This is for our families. Well, I wonder if that's rooted in your military background, because, you know, you think about the U.S. military, it's the largest volunteer military in the world, right? I I do say this. I do say this. And this is the selfish part of me. So, yeah, going back to the military, I did spend 20 years in the military. I spent many of those years, especially my last six, seven, eight years in the military of taking care of troops, right? So that was my job. I was a platoon sergeant. I took care of troops. I made sure they were fed and bed and everything was good. And then you get out the military and now it's just you and the wife, right? So that's, I guess that might be, and I thought of that too, that you say that maybe that's my, my way of still trying to take care of people because I've lost that taking care of the soldier part of it. Yeah. I love that thought process right? you're creating this volunteer army to help get into that fight for those kids and you know, what better cause to volunteer for than some kids. Uh, I never thought of it that way. That's a pretty good way to put it. I'm going to have to write that one down. Well, every once in a while I get a lucky, so don't, don't count very many more of those, Mike. You you, you might get one of those once a month. (laughs) So that's fantastic. And when we talk about these administration costs, I think to sum it up from a a layman's terms, when we talk that you have a two and a half percent right now, and as you get bigger, obviously that, that percent is going to increase to some extent. But what you've been able to do with the volunteer army here, that means 97.5 cents on the dollar that gets donated is going directly to a family. Is that how I should understand that? Yeah, it's well, I won't say it directly to a family. It goes to the family or, or to the fight, to things that we're doing for the family, whether that be, I guess, in an you could say that way, like the parking pass. So the way it works is we have we have multiple programs, okay, right? So we may have a program. Or obviously, our number one program is to support the family, you know, with bills. 
So then we have a second little pile of money for every, you know, money that dollar that comes in that goes towards like the parking passes and things like that, which is kind of falls in with the supporting with the bills. But we kind of break that apart because we just look at the bills paying as one aspect and then helping like when if I take like if I go up on a Friday, then I'm off up to Johns Hopkins or Washington Hospital or any of these hospitals and buy donuts and things like that. I separate that don't different from the bills. We're starting this year. We haven't started yet. COVID's kind of put us behind. But for a 10% of every dollar, what we do, that goes into the program for what we're starting is our grant program. So we talked about there's a couple of things we want to do in the future. Now, with our grant program, basically, that is we didn't want to call it a research program because I don't want to limit it to research. I'm not saying that that money won't go towards research. We're, we're thinking about every January we will give either to a research, a grant of 5,000, 10,000, whatever that number may be at the end of the year, or we're going to, right now we're looking at 5k to start out until we grow as, as a foundation. Then, or we would do like, there's, there's groups out there like the, there's a house called Believe in Tomorrow. That's, it's a hotel kind of thing across from the hospital where families can stay there at a reduced rate. So, you know, we might want to give $5,000 to that house, say, listen, for every cancer, because it's not just cancers, it's 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 pediatrics for all kinds of, you know, dangerous diseases. But anyway, we'd like to say, here's $5,000, you know, for the families that are coming in, we don't want them to pay anything, you know, things like that. Uh, we're working on that. And the latest program that we're working on right now, we're putting together is in honor of one of our kids, Justin, who's... Uh, probably been one of our first gold fighters. He's on his fourth battle now of brain cancer. And it's that we got him to graduate. Well, they got him to graduation, but it's, it's not looking good. He's in hospice, uh, home hospice and all that now. But it's called, we've created our Just In Time program in honor of Justin. What that is, our mom, she kind of, Justin's mom, like I said, the folks that do this are cancer kids' parents that, that are helping us, right? So she takes care of all of our family support stuff. And she's going to get, uh, I give her money out of the program. And what she does is she buys gift cards. Now that may be a gift card for a grocery store for a family, or it may be a gift card for like if the, if the fighter or the sibling's birthday is coming up, it might be for, you know, they do the iTunes or whatever they're into. Now I'm too old to know all that stuff. That's why I have uh, Adriana take care of that stuff for us. But that's another one of our programs. We're just there to support these families. So my goal and my dream is when we get bigger and bigger, this is a program I really want to start. And that is my college fund. I want to start a college fund for our gold fighter in our gold fighter's name to send either a gold fighter who's a survivor of cancer or a sibling, maybe of a child, you know, who passed from cancer to college. That's in our future. You know, like I told you earlier, I'm kind of a program and project manager by trade. So I've got like this 10-year plan that I put out there that's very fluid, of course, but that's in that in that 10-year plan. Yeah, that's an amazing plan. And I think it would be something that would be fascinating to see one of your survivors go on and, and go yes. on to college because then you know you've helped that family and helped that journey. And, right. and it's interesting because... And it honors that child, too. That's the thing for me. It honors a child. It does. And, and not to tell, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to say, too, and... In the meantime, with doing all this is we want to open up in other states. We were looking at another state. I think I told you earlier, we were looking at another state to open up this year. But with the COVID, it kind of put us behind schedule because we're, we're really not getting a lot of funds in and stuff like that. But our goal is to open up. We want to go up and down the coast, the East Coast, because that's where we're from right now. Right. And then we want to spread out to, the, you know, look at look at areas that are, you know, have higher you know rates of childhood cancer and things like that and start spreading out in that area. Yeah, and you. I get requests from New York. 
I get, yeah, we do all. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. But I want to say, finish by saying I get requests as far as California, New York, Philadelphia. I mean, I'm getting requests and unfortunately, you know, I wish I could, but you know, we've got to, we've got to do this thing slowly as we roll it out, as we get funds in. But yeah, that's a great point because right now, while we do the Maryland, DC, Virginia area for all families, right. uh, We're getting ready to hopefully open up in another state relatively soon we also do all military and that's our way of giving back to the military because every one of us who are, are, are in this, we're, we, you know, we're retired military. Brian's retired air force. I'm retired army. So that's the way giving back. It's, it's interesting. So our t-shirts, if you go online, you can see them, the golden fight t-shirts we put on the left side, the flag, like you would wear it on your uniform, right? The stars are first because in the military, what does that mean? Everybody looks and says your flag's backwards. No, it means you're running in the battle. You're, the flag's waving as you're going in the battle. So we put that on all our T-shirts to represent. That was important to me when I, we created this T-shirt because we're going into battle, right? And I wanted that military aspect to it. That is really interesting. So as you're going in, you can actually see the flag in that type of direction. Yeah. That's, that's As you're running in the battle, charging in the battle, the flag is, you know, facing that way. The blue field is up front. I love it. Where can you buy one of your shirts at? Well, we have a right now. I have some at the house. I could We could send you. Or you could go to Creekside. I can get you the link for that Creekside uh, T-shirts. They do all our shirts for us. They're very, very close to us. I tell you, that, that's the other thing. These small businesses around here really, really are, are help us out. So Creekside does all of our, our shirts. And please, I want to find a segue in there to find out about one of the local restaurants who really does so much for our families, not in the entire community, not just our families and things like that. But I mean, they're the ones every year that put on breakfast with Santa, breakfast with the Easter Bunny, breakfast with that, and just donate so much of their stuff and time for us. Yeah, you'll have to send me the link so that I could pick up a shirt. I, I would love to do that because they definitely get the, the recognition too. Yeah. So Creekside Graphics and Tees in Sparrows Point, they're the ones that do our T-shirts and you can go order that. Uh, there's a whole line of things they do. I don't buy it because to me, I don't want to buy the money and use the money to have all this stuff sitting around, right? Sure. So I'd rather they go through the site. I mean, I keep some on hand because we give some of our shirts to our fighters and the families and things like that. Or if you donate a certain amount of money, we'll, we'll give you a T-shirt and stuff like that. But there's there's like wool hats with our logo on it. We have a gym bag they make for us with our logo. It's all embroidered, you know, and it's very, very reasonable. Cheap prices It's nothing really expensive. But yeah, it's really cool. You can go to Creekside and, and they will hook you up. Just tell them Mike sent you. Yeah. Mike from Golden Fight. Can I ask for the gold and black colors as well so that I can... That's our logo. See, they have ours on file. That's the only thing you can get. We have one shirt, one style. And there's nothing better than asking somebody from Baltimore for gold and black. So I will... Ah, you know it, right? (laughs) So, So, Mike, tell me, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the future with... The golden fight and you, you said the number of things that you're trying to put in place and and you've got these kids going through one of the areas which i thought was fascinating you hit on was that survivor's guilt but even on top of the survivor's guilt when there's a funeral there's also a lot of complications in these kids whenever they do beat cancer and you mentioned you know the child brian who is in his fourth bout they say that the statistics that by the time you're 45, I think it's like 60 something percent, maybe it's higher, that they actually have a serious medical condition that they have to deal with. And mm-hmm. so these these kids, long after they've got to ring the bell, they actually have 
challenges that people uh, will never get to see, you know, for the rest of their life. And so, so what's your thoughts on that and, and how does that kind of yeah. play into I, I, Again, you, you embarrass me. You know so much, you've looked so much up. I, <laughs> I've never looked that much. It's, but I, I go from what I see, right? Cause you know, right. like I said, we're really big. You're in the trenches. Yeah. So teeth, teeth is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teeth are weakened and things like that. Growth. Uh, when they have it as a child, the growth is a problem. Kidney failure, kidney disease, things like that. I've seen for sure in all of the children, you know, something is out there. And like I said, there's kids that beat cancer and died from the treatment. There was a child, a teenager, I think he was 17 years old, who passed away. He was cancer-free, but he died from the treatments of the chemo and stuff. Wow. You know, I drastically underestimated that statistic, so I apologize. It is 95% of survivors have serious issues by the time they're yeah. 45 years old. I mean, you're pumping poison into their system, man. You know, you're pumping these poisons in there to kill this cancer. So even and it's when you beat this thing, it's life-changing. for that, that, That's the problem, what I was talking about earlier with the, you know, the whole less than 4% going into research for this, for treatments for these kids, you know, you're pumping the same stuff like a grown 100 and 200 pound man like myself, you know, is, is getting put in his body, you know, if he has cancer. It's just crazy. There's got to be more research done. There's got to be more funding put towards this, you know, it's just not enough, you know, and I'm not taking away from any other thing, but, you know, we, we sit there and we put so much effort into lung and breast and all. And I get it. I'm not taking away from that. God, no, please don't take it that way. But I, I just look at kids, man. I, I just wish we could put more into the kids. You know, I, I heard something earlier this year and I'm not wanting to get any kind of political thing one way or another, but one of the things I did kind of like when I looked at it and I didn't get to read into it, obviously, but I think the president of the current administration has put a little bit more money into the childhood cancer research. And, and I think that's a great thing. I still think the numbers may be a little bit lower or right at 4%. I don't think it was a whole lot. I think it could be more. I just think our, I just think the government needs to step up a lot more, you know, and like I said, other foundations that are out there and they raise money for research. And, and I get that, man. That's their that's their story. Right. So they want to find a cure for this thing that either killed their child or put their child through this. And, and I could totally understand that. My story is, again, I don't have kids with cancer, but I see all these families suffering financially for, over all of this. Yeah. And that impacts the health as well, right? Like that will drive the type of meals you get to eat. That'll drive the type of activities you get to be involved in. That'll drive the type of care you get. So, you know, financial impacts have serious correlation to... We had a, a little girl got done with her treatment, was jumping on a trampoline and broke her leg in three places because her bones were so weak from the chemo stuff. Yeah. You know, now you, you beat cancer and you're out there and you're playing like a normal kid for once. And then your leg breaks in three places. I mean, come on. You know, these kids, they, they have such a start in life that teaches them amazing resilience. But you just look and you realize life is not fair. Like No kid deserves that. Yes, sir. And so, how, so Mike, how has that changed your view as a father? And you said you didn't have kids that had cancer, but you have... You know, some grown kids, but you also have grandkids that are probably similar age to some of these kids that are going through this fight. So what does oh, that are, man. Well, I guess I have a one-year-old baby and I have a, an 11-year-old granddaughter and I have two grandsons that are 11 and 6. And you worry because you see all this stuff every time. And, and you, you look at them and you thank God how blessed I am, right? 
I mean, I thank God. I love my grandkids so much. You know, <laughs> I could talk about that a whole nother subject on them. You know, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, I love my kids, but man, grandkids is a whole nother thing. And as a, as a dad, as a granddad, I just feel so blessed because I think I was afforded that opportunity to do what is every dad's dream and make it better for their kids. You know, not to get in a philosophical thing, but, you know, I grew up with not a lot. I didn't have a whole lot of money, kind of grew up. I won't give you my whole background on everything, but, you know, it was kind of some parts of it were pretty rough upbringing and, you know, you want better for your kids. And I always tell my son when we were going through his teenage years, I'm like, look, kid, you got choices in life, right? You can take us back where we, where we were, right. That'll affect you and your children, not just you, or you can take what I've given you and move forward and make it even better for yours. Right. And that's what we all want. And like I said, I'm blessed that I was able to give my kids that I was able to send my kids to schools. My son's a master electrician. Uh, my daughter has, has, has a master's degree and she does a uh, budgeting and program analyst for the government. You know, because I was I was able to do that by hard, working hard and watching them. And they didn't go through these diseases and things that I'm so blessed, you know, that I got to do that for them. I could die today and think I did my job. Right. Yeah. You know, that's incredible that you've been able to have healthy children, but get involved in something that's such a challenge for so many families out there and, and be you know, so impactful into it and have the trust of that those communities. And I'm sure as you're raising your, your grandchildren or and, and seeing them, you must feel very blessed that they're healthy, but also it probably makes it so much more real to see another kid that age so innocent go through yeah. some challenges. Well, I got I gotta tell you a story about my granddaughter a couple of years ago. She came to me and after school was over, it was the summer again race start, and she brought brought me, I don't know, like ten, fifteen dollars or something to say, Granddad, I collected this for Golden Fight. I mean, because here's your grandkid, right, at nine years old, gets to see what you're doing. He comes to the events and gets to meet these kids and hang around these kids. And I think it gives them a whole perspective on life, too, right, that, you know, that they see that not as everybody's as fortunate. And my granddaughter, you know, she's joking with me, not joking with me, she's serious. She's like, granddad, I want to run your, because I'm not real good with social media because I'm kind of older. She's like, I want to run your Golden Fight YouTube page. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, go for it, baby, because none of us can do it. I love uh, her. You know, I'll put a I'll put a shameless plug in for the Dad Corp. One of the spinoff uh, activities we have going on is a weekly podcast with my daughter. It's called Juice with Milan, and so we might have to figure out a way to coordinate an interview and have them on together so they get to talk about what she does with you all. And uh, my daughter gets to chat a little bit about gold Golden Flight because I would love to get her more involved and even. You know, we could talk down the road if it would make sense. And, and families, you, you mentioned they would want to get their kids' stories out there. Maybe the kids even come through as uh, guests and, and have a chance to chat with Milan and then just have some fun across the, the video conference. That's actually one of the video podcasts that we've been doing. But that would be that'd be incredible to get that get her involved in helping and, and being part of your, your organization. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we have a lot of fun with it. It's like a 10 minute video podcast. We talk about a bunch of just yeah. current stuff and, and I'll send you a couple of links. So you see, yeah, it's cool. yeah, podcasts and all that's all new to me. I don't know nothing about that world. Well, it's interesting to see kids. You're, you're, you're teaching your granddaughter the fact that she's seen you go through that. You know, there's so much there, right? There's so many lessons. There's service. There's community. There's you know, resiliency, you're, you're showing them, you know, volunteering, you're showing them kindness, you're teaching them empathy. That's stuff that, you know, 
minus forget about all the stem stuff out there right like mathematics two plus two will always equal four the life skills that you're teaching your your granddaughter will go with her for the rest of her life and create a legacy you know she'll always remember you for yeah yeah that's true you know i always sit there and say this it's funny you say that because i always sat there and i tell my wife i says you know it's not that i'm afraid of dying it's i'm afraid of being forgotten right and you say that and not that I'm doing it for that because I was doing it way before that, but I do think it is kind of special that it's something that, you know, you always sit there and say, you want to be remembered how you lived. Right. So I always say, you know, as long as my kids and my grandkids remember the heart and what I did and you can learn off and they kind of pick that kind of stuff up because it's a cold world out there, man. It could be really, it's really crazy out there. You know, I, I could not get bored with but little, just little instances in life. I always look at the little things that happen in life that, and then you see your kids do that, right? And you're like, oh, wow, they kind of emulated what I would do or something that I said. And, and it kind of makes you feel proud. That's incredible. It's kind of the legacy I look at. Because, look, my goal is, like, sometimes, you know, like I said before, I, you, sometimes you just want to quit it. But then you, sometimes you, I, the passion is, like, I want to make this bigger than, the, you know, any foundation. And, and it, 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 would, it is kind of a legacy. You know, I would love the name Golden Fight to be, you know, I would love childhood cancer, number one, go away, you know, be gone, eradicated. That'd be number one. But while that's there, I would love the name Golden Fight to be synonymous with some of the big ones like St. Jude or something like that. You know, you think of that. I, and, and I want it to be remembered and known as the foundation that you can trust and go to. That's fantastic. And Mike, when you're looking at that type of thought process, you tell me as a, a grandfather and a, and a dad and you I, no, you you've told me that your kids are grown, but I, my understanding is that they're never grown in your eyes. So they're probably always going to be your kids. You know, and you can still see the five and seven year old running around, right? But oh, yeah. when you look at the principles that you've wanted to steal in your children, you know, as you were a father, and then as you've gotten into this foundation, and now as a grandfather, like what are the type of principles that you feel are critical to? the kids and, and that you would want to still as like a father and a grandfather? Just empathy. You know, like we kind of talked about earlier where to be the critical or cynical, cynical, I guess would be the world where sometimes my son, when he was younger, he's very, very cynical about the world and about, you know, why should I for this person? They don't for me. Well, it's not about that. You know, even, even as a supervisor at work, one of the things I teach my employees is, you know, you, you treat everybody the same. And here, here we are with the COVID and you can kind of see who's turned around and being heroes and doing the things right. Uh, everybody from, you know, the person that's cleaning the building all the way up to the CEO. You know, I always tell my employees not to get away from the kid thing, but I tell my kids the same thing. You talk to the general or that colonel the same way you would talk to that private or you talk to that private the same way you would talk to that general. You know, it's about respecting others, respecting their opinions. You know, it's too much I see on social media. Somebody has a different opinion and now you've unfriended me or they get in this big rage war through social media, you know, just respect people and just have a heart for people. And, you know, don't be so self-centered in your world and understand that there's other people out there, you know, and, and we're here to help each other through this, right? I guess that's the biggest thing. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but it's just to me is, uh, you know, I, again, I always, it's weird because I say I grew up 20 years. I went into high school. I went right out of high school into the army and I was just who a, who a soldier and I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And now I sit there and I look at a kid and I can cry, when, you know, at a moment's notice, like a big sap. 
And I've learned a lot in my life. I've learned a lot in the military in the 20 years I've been there going around the world and seeing things and, you know, seeing my kids sometimes grow up and not being there for them and, you know, missing the things that you do typically in the military and things like that. It's weird. I think we should all have kids in our 50s <laughs> because I think you, 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 you get life experiences and you grow and, you know, you kind of get out of that self-centered world. Uh, that you kind of are, are in that's in this world now and you become a better person. I think you become a better father the older you get because you see, you see things in a different way. You, you know, you turn into your parents, right? So I don't know if that makes sense what I'm trying to say, but it's just I learned so much over the years with my kids and I'm so proud of my kids, what they've become because, you know, it could have come some different. I could have became something totally different. You know, I could have been an abusive drunk you know, not knowing life or friends of mine who are still in jail to this day or, or, or things like that. But, you know, you make decisions in your life. And this is what I always tell my kids. I like, you know, every decision that you make in life, no matter how small it is, can affect you, your future. You know, I don't want to get into the whole thing where I'm at today, but it's just this little decision that I made in life put me where I'm at today. Um, and you've got to always keep that in the back of your mind. And I always say this, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. Number one, you got to surround yourself with smart people. You got to have a plan in life. And, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, right? If you want to be somebody that's just doing dope or drinking and doing things like that, that's who you surround yourself with. If you want to be a better person, you have the choice in life. I don't care how hard you grew up. I grew up in, in, like I said earlier, not that great situation, but I knew I had to change my life and I was the only one that could do it. You know, I joined the army, you know, love a country. Yeah, that's all great. But I joined the army because I had nothing else. Right. So I had never planned on staying in the army. My first hitch was over the first four years. And then my daughter was being born. I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess got to stay one more hitch. Right. And then that's another four year hitch. And four years later, my son was born. <laughs> and then you're like, well, dang, I'm at 12, 13 years. I might as well stay for the full 20 now. Right. But you just work to get your kids a better life. And I just always teach my kids, just, just treat everybody the way you want to be treated and, and have faith in God that he's going to carry you through. But as long as you are doing things with your heart, uh, which you know to be right, then I think you'll be okay. Work hard, treat people with respect, and you will get far in this life. Because I always tell my son, I'm, a, I'm an improbable statistic, right? I grew up, barely graduated high school, was getting into some bad things, uh, went into the army, didn't have no college. And now I'm a, a high ranking, pretty not high ranking, but I'm a, you know, GS 13 government employee with, I'm a supervisor for multiple uh, people and I'm, I'm doing pretty darn good in life. And that's because not because I'm the smart guy, I'm just smart enough to surround myself with smart people and treat people with respect. The respect area is huge and the empathy area is something that we hear a lot about and i love the point you make about the micro decisions and you know every decision you make builds up over time and then really kind of derives the opportunities you have in life we've heard that over and over again on the podcast and so it, you know, it's fantastic mm -hmm. to hear those, those are timeless types of principles that i think are, are critical to, to instill in your kids and and, you know, one of the things when I ask this question, that I always love to hear is that you hear these these people focused principles and human behavior principles. You don't hear. Yeah, I want to instill my kid to become a good mathematician. I want them to be a fantastic biologist and know biology. Right. You know, you start out with like the basic 
101. I want them to be a good person. And this is how I see them yeah. a good person. So I, I love that because I think it's timeless and it's something that it's easy to forget whenever you're having the, the crisis as a parent going through the trenches, dealing with schools and grades and all of that, especially with mm. the coronavirus. You know, you can, this is a great teachable lesson. <laughs> so, how much we respect and need our teachers, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You made a comment and I love the way you phrased it. It's actually a saying that in corporate, I'll, I'll explain in a second, that I'm not a fan of and I'll tell you why. But I like the way you said, you know, that you, you, you treat the general and the private the same type of respect because I think people can see that and they say, okay, there's a real hierarchy, right? Like that's part of the ladder of military in corporate America. They use this term and it really, it really rubs me the wrong way. They say, I I want you to treat the janitor and the CEO the same. And I'll tell you why that rubs me the wrong way, because in my mind, that's assuming that you would even think of treating them differently because the CEO is better. And that, I think, when you first start on that premise, I think there's a real issue there because, you know, why is that CEO better? Because he has that title. He's, he's, got, he's got good at that type of job. Maybe that janitor is very happy where they're at and they're fantastic and they're, they're one of the best. Who cares about the, the financial uh, compensation as long as the person's happy? So I, I've always had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with that saying and the way it was. I like the way you say it because that's really the career ranking. And so you can see like a private's the beginner and the general is the end. And so treating them both with respect is not assuming right. one's higher, like the general is just a higher rank. That's how it is. Right. I mean, you know, you, you obviously you've got your rank structure and, and how, how it works going up the thing. But when I say treat them the same, I'm like, you talk to them with the same respect, you know, yes. you don't just because somebody may be doing a, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look, look at what we're going through now. You know, um, we got guys clean. We had a case of the coronavirus in our building, you know, and and guess who comes in there and the whole gear and cleans it all and does that stuff. You know, it's the, it's the custodial worker that's in there doing that thing, you know, and I've always listen. I respect every single person because what matters to me is not what you do in life or your stature in life, your color of your skin. What matters to me is your heart and how you treat people. You know, we're all human beings. We're all going to live and we're all going to die. and We're all going to answer for our things at the end. You just got to use your heart, man. And I just don't understand people who don't get that. I don't understand the racism in the world and the sexism in the world and the different things like that. I just don't get it because we all bleed, man. And we all we all have pain. We all have suffering. We're all trying to do the same things. We're trying to raise our kids right. We're trying to make it better for them. You know, so let's treat each other like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fantastic message just to get out. And so, Mike, one final question. I know we've been running at this one for a while and I've enjoyed the conversation. I could keep running if we didn't have uh, the missus to run back to. And I know you have a birthday coming up, so I'm sure you're probably... Yeah, my wife tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you'll be getting the eye here soon and I don't want to make that type of first impression. No, she'd have to go see my daughters. <laughs> We're good. Very good. What, and you, you touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to just frame it up in the question. We have a final question we always give to their guests and it's called the dad ode. And the reason why the dad ode was created, we had a guest, his name was Gareth Moody and he wrote a book and it was a rhyme book around cooking for kids and, and, and parents. And it has this really kind of 
page by page rhyme on recipes and cooking and how to properly use knives and stuff. And so he's, he's a, he's a, he's a crafty guy in the language sense. And he's really able to kind of bring together sentences that are really interesting. And so he created his dad ode and I won't force you to be able to have that same type of ability to, to rhyme yourself a, a final song that you would want your, oh, your, your kids and uh, your, your grandkids to sing. But I will ask you like, if they were going to write a, a speech or, you know, you said the word legacy and we talked about that when, when that speech or that type of discussion and they're talking about their, their dad or their grandfather, what would you want them to say about you when, when you're not around or if you weren't around? I did the best I could. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's cliche. I did the best I could. I tried to be the best father. I tried to be the best grandfather. I tried to be the best human in this world, you know, and everything that's there. And that's what I would think I just want people to know is I don't do any of this to self-serve me. I've got a really good life. You know, I've, I've done well. Um, like I said, I got the whole statistical American dream going on for me here. I don't know. I just, I just want them to know that I tried my best. I wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. I made my mistakes as my kids grew up. I've learned from my mistakes. I'm very, very proud of my kids. I'm proud of my grandkids. And all I want for them is to have a better life than I had, you know, and, and I, I had a pretty darn good, good life. So, yeah, I guess that's, I, I just leave it at that. I just, everything I do, I do for my children. I love it, my friend. I love it. Great answer. And so to wrap up the show, why don't you tell everybody where they can find Golden Fight, where they can follow you all, yeah. what's going on in the next couple of months? No, I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, so look, so we got a brand new website that just opened up. We got that going finally. And that's www.goldinfight, one word, G-O-L-D-I-N-F-I-G-H-T.org. And that'll take you to our website. You can see me and my wife and here's read the stories lesson. And you can see our kids, you know, that are in there. Now it, we are updating it because it is new. So we're trying to get it updated with the status of the children and where they're at and things like that. So you can go to that. But our most active believe it or not, is our Facebook page. So if you go on your Facebook and you look for Gold in Fight, you can find us there. We have a, we're starting to get better with the Instagram. We're quite not tweeting yet. We're trying, but Instagram probably is the second one after the Facebook page. And then hopefully sooner we'll get a YouTube channel going here once we start getting some smarter, younger people that can help us do these things and more time. Like I said, it's just a couple of us running this thing full-time the business aspect of it while we have other people that are helping with the family aspect and helping with the fundraising aspect it's just a couple that's doing the business side of the house but yeah go look for us man say hi if you heard about me on this thing please leave a comment or something like that you can always email me personally my name is mike g that's at goldenfight.org send me a quick email and that's the other thing i like to do i sent out emails yesterday for people that donated if i get a chance man i'll send out an email or i'll make a phone call or whatever and just personally say thank you and just know, man, it's just like, it don't matter if it's a dollar or $10,000. Every bit helps. I really appreciate everybody's support. Everybody that's supporting me through this is making this foundation grow. It's unbelievable to me. It really, truly is. Yeah. And, you know, I am stoked to be helping and being part of your growth plan and, and having you all you know, part of our, our the dad corp and, and what we're planning to do as far as donate proceeds and profits to the cause and start to set up a, a multi-tier strategy to to help that foundation and see you all grow. So I think you're a fantastic person. I, you're, I got a chance to meet your wife briefly. And in that short call, I, I thought you two were just a, a lovely couple. 
it didn't take long for me to realize you all are the real deal. You know, I just love the way you're approaching this. It, it, it's, you know, you've definitely brought the tears on this call. So I just want to thank you, Mike, for being part of the show and, and joining us and then also giving the Dad Corp an opportunity to help your foundation. I want to thank you for your service as far as the military. I want to thank you for what you've done as far as helping and making an impact to the families out there. So man, just do my hats off and you know, hopefully one day I can be half the man you, you, you've been. So it's, uh, we're not also, so we, we really, we can't do it without folks like you and, and, and what you're doing here. You know, none of this is possible without, without the support of people. I, I'm just a guy who's just has a big heart. That's all. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I can tell that from the short conversations that we've had in this podcast. Let me ask you one last question off the script. Dads out there that are in the mix, you know, there's been a lot of stress. We've got COVID, all that other good stuff, a lot of kind of challenges uh, ahead of us. You've seen parents have to go through much harder challenges. And so you have some perspective. You know, what would you say? From a father you know, and a grandfather and then seeing other parents go through much harder challenges, what advice would you give the parents to focus on you know, on their day in and day out as a dad? You know what? What I would say right away is take your kids, hold on to your kids, be thankful for your kids and your spouse and talk to them. Because guess what? You got scared about this stuff going on. You have issues, you're angry and stuff. But guess what? So your kids do too, man. They feed off of that. So grab your kids. Talk to them about what's going on and tell them it's going to be okay. I think that's important because the kids feed off of us, our fears, and our concerns. Nice. Well, on that note, I will let you get to your wife's birthday. Thanks again for joining the show, and I can't wait to talk to you more. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you, and I can't wait to to hear this. This is awesome. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right, now. Bye-bye. We have a ton going on here at the Dad Corp. So thanks for following us. Jump on the platform and join in the show. Check out our website, www.thedadcorp.com. The design, it's great. It's simple. It's intuitive. We have an entire e-commerce dad mall. We're adding partners, new products regularly. We are going to be the biggest, baddest, and best platform globally for everything dads. While you're there, pick up one of our hot selling dad life t-shirts. This thing is going off the virtual shelves. We're getting hundreds of orders coming in. It's a great price. It's one of our original dad corp designs. We went out, we crowdsourced, we went through a long process. We got a great design. It's unique. Kids love it. Dads love it. People are going to notice it. Our shirts are comfortable. Our customer service is even better. Check us out. Pick one up. Spread the word. Follow us on Facebook. We have over 80,000 followers. You can find us on facebook.com backslash the dad corp. If you don't have Facebook and you're into the Instagram, check us out. The underscore dad underscore corp. Subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be continuing these regular interviews with dads out there who are living an epic dad life. They're going to share their stories, advice, lessons, and we're just going to have great conversations. Very interesting people, very interesting conversations. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. If you listen to podcasts on some type of app, we're probably there. Check us out. If not, go to another one. Subscribe, share. Thank you. We love you. We can't do it without you. So finally, you know, keep spreading the word. We're out there, we're all in, and we want to do this with you all. We're a dad site built for dads by a couple dads. Mm-hmm.